0: Hello, everyone. This is Gary Sheffer. Welcome back to another episode of The Crux of the Story. Hey, it's spring here in Boston, where I record. And yesterday we had the Boston Marathon and Patriots Day. And of course, last night we had a little bit of snow. So <laughs> that's spring in Boston. This episode, we've got a terrific guest, Duncan Mizell, is the campaign director for Clean Creatives. It's a campaign that targets PR agencies and creatives that are working with fossil fuel companies. The goal is to change the way they work with fossil fuel companies or to end that work. And Clean Creatives have had an impact already. And so we have a great conversation with him. It's a really important conversation. I would say it's a spirited even sometimes sporty conversation with Duncan. We really appreciate him being on the program. So let's go to that interview.
1: Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hi, this
0: is Gary Sheffer.
1: And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University.
0: Our guest on The Crux today is Duncan Meisel. He's the campaign director of Clean Creatives, which targets leading PR agencies and creatives that he claims, and the organization, of course, claims, are helping fossil fuel companies continue polluting while distorting their own records on the facts of climate change. So far, it has attracted 900 creatives and many more uh, folks to sign on, including scientists. Clean Creatives has also created an F list. F as in failure in academic terms, of advertising and public relations agencies, it accused of spreading climate misinformation on clients' behalf. There are a lot of big names here, Edelman, Hill & Knowlton, WPP, among the 90 advertising and PR companies that Clean Creative says are working with the fossil fuel industry. And Clean Creatives has gotten results. Uh, Most notably, earlier this year, Edelman adopted new principles for working with quote unquote emission intensive clients. Although it had said it had found zero examples of us erring on the facts in its work with those clients. Duncan is also a digital artist whose work projecting COVID memorials during the height of the pandemic was widely reported on. And we're glad to have Duncan with us today to unpack the question so many creatives and companies are faced with today. What is our role in ending the problems we face as a society? Duncan, welcome to The Crux.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be on the show.
0: So let's start with the basics. What's Clean Creatives and what is its mission?
2: So I think the best way to explain clean creatives is to kind of give the origin story, which is, you know, my background isn't doing communications for international campaigns to stop climate change. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked for a global campaign called 350.org for many years. And that experience kind of was, you know, every time we would ask to do something good, like, you know, create a strong Paris climate agreement. There would always be really well-run, well-produced, uh, well-funded advertising and PR campaigns that were asking the world to do something bad. And so after leaving 350 and kind of bouncing around to a few other projects, I reconnected with one of the co-founders of 350, Jamie Henn, and you know we sort of formed just a little group to help support people who were trying to stop fossil fuel projects around the U.S. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, we were looking at the presidential election and, you know, all these ads being run by, about from the American Petroleum Institute and others about climate change and fossil fuels. And, you know, we started out with just the idea of let's, you know, figure out who made one ad and, you know, make them feel bad about it, basically, (laughs) like really straightforward. (laughs) And what we found actually was that the agency that was making ads for the American Petroleum Institute was an agency where I live in Austin, Texas. It's called gsd Okay. And I think that something clicked for me there, which was, you know, I grew up in Austin. I know the kinds of people that are young creatives in Austin. And I, I think their values are probably more aligned with mine than they are with Exxon. You yep. know, I, I didn't think they would probably find that to be a very appetizing career opportunity. And so that was sort of rattling around. And then around the same time, uh, Jamie came across this advertisement from, philip morris which has had a huge exodus of creative talent and agencies that won't work with him over the years and their ad it it was about the quote smoke-free future and it was sure it was so bad i actually thought it was a joke um (laughs) I, i thought he was putting it on and it just sort of clicked it's like oh if creatives really smart talented people stop working for an industry they have much less power to influence the public and i'm pretty sure a lot of the people who work in the creative industry and pr industry probably don't see their values aligned with with fossil fuels and so there's an opportunity to bring people together around this issue, and that's kind of where it began. Okay, and that was in late 2020, and as of kind of the last couple of days, we did another count. We're actually over 300 agencies that have signed the pledge, and over a thousand individuals in the advertising and PR industry.
0: So, and so, Duncan, is it a, is it you? You sign the pledge, and you, you sort of agree with the set of criteria that are set forth. How are you organized, funded, all of that? What's the or is it just sort of your your energy and, and sweat equity in this thing?
2: No, we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We get supported okay. by foundations and things like that, uh, basically, is the answer.
0: Okay, terrific. So now I'm going to start out by pushing back on you immediately. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But some of the responses I've seen from creatives that represent fossil fuel Companies is that you know it mimics what you hear in the case about legal defenses for uh, criminals who've suspected of doing terrible things. Is that everyone has a right to representation, or we're on a journey with our clients to help them reduce their involvement in fossil fuels or their emissions? So, what do you think of that? What's your response to that, Duncan? That that pushback that says we're helping. We're on the inside and we're helping.
2: Yeah, so two thoughts on this. I, I think it's important to just take a step back and just sort of acknowledge the situation we're in around the climate emergency. So, climate change is a threat. We all know that. It will lead to millions of deaths from disease, wars sparked by resource conflicts, and fossil fuels are responsible for approximately 90% of the carbon pollution that is causing climate change. On top of that, there are deaths from fossil fuel pollution sources, so air pollution. Mm-hmm. which is more than 8 million deaths per year, which is 22,000 deaths per uh, per day, nearly 1,000 lives cut short every hour. And in 2020, there were 55 million people that were displaced because of weather disasters, which is actually more than every other war on earth mm-hmm. combined. And I think the basic point is that you don't have a right to destroy the atmosphere that sustains all life on earth. That is not a defensible business plan. And I know it it sounds absurd and it's because we're in kind of an absurd situation, I think, but the crux, no pun of our campaign is (laughs) there isn't a single oil company that is on that journey. It is not true to say that they are on that journey to reduce emissions. Mm -hmm. The plans that they have brought, they have told their investors that they are going to increase emissions. They are going to produce more oil, more gas. And I think that the IPCC report really summed this up nicely last year. And the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and it represents the essentially the global scientific consensus on climate change and the report that came out last week actually named fossil fuel advertising and PR as one of the major impediments to reducing carbon pollution and i I think that's a real challenge that's been laid down before the industry that you know thousands of scientists have come together to produce the mo- most comprehensive report on what is stopping us from addressing climate change and they named this industry mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a real question that requires uh, examination fascinating and, and just the last thing i would say about kind of the journey question is you know to take an example of a company like exxon you know they spent many millions of dollars advertising and talking about their work on biofuels and they probably mm-hmm. spent as much advertising as they did producing the biofuels and not a single consumer ever got to use that biofuel mm-hmm. and so the the challenge is that, you know, a lot of people and agencies are asked to help promote these initiatives that seem great and in in isolation would be great. But the purpose of those advertisements and those PRs campaigns is to give the perception that the problem is being solved, maybe we don't need government action, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, that kind of, that effort at greenwashing is actually, in many ways, I think more dangerous than outright denial of the climate science. So, that's kind of my perspective on where we, are, where we are and why we're taking this approach.
1: Yeah, well, somewhat in line with Gary's earlier question, I'm just curious, while you've taken on Edelman and to some lesser extent, Hill and Knowlton, are, are there other large players in the PR industry that have supported your effort?
2: it's mostly been kind of a collection of smaller agencies and practitioners. There's not really yes. been
1: But 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 you haven't gotten any support from like Weber Shandwick no. or IPG no. or or any of those other players. I was just kind of curious from that. Now, Clean Creatives website, it states that agencies should not be working for companies whose primary business is the extraction processing, transportation, or sale of oil, gas, or coal. It also says utilities and electric cooperatives that meet one or more of the following criteria generate 50% or more their electricity from fossil fuels, generate 50% or more of their revenue from fossil fuels, play an active role in funding new fossil fuel infrastructure. What I wanna know is what is acceptable for consultancies when it comes to fossil fuels. When I look at other actions taken by other industries, if we look at investor groups, right? BlackRock has made a lot of different statements and pledges and that investment group led by Larry Fink has been a bit more discerning in trying to identify good players in the industries that they're looking at, you know, the world still is going to need oil and yeah, gas. The,
2: we've taken, we've sort of given the green light to former fossil fuel companies that have made transitions to agencies that have signed our pledge. You know, there are agencies that have worked for the company Orsted, which is a sort of Northern European utility that is divested fully of its coal assets and is transitioning, is shutting down their coal plants. And so we we actually do actually have an element of discernment here that I think is important to note. And and our position is very clear. It's like we don't think agencies should work with companies whose primary business is the extraction, transportation, or combustion of fossil fuels Mm -hmm. or front groups associated with
1: that. Even when those companies are investing in renewables, investing in carbon capture and utilization storage, investing in RNG, still you'd say no.
2: And the reason for that, yeah, I would say no, is because, well, two reasons. One is I don't think it's very good business to take those clients. You know, this is actually a great transition to make now. And fossil fuel production and consumption needs to shrink by 50% by 2030 to meet our global climate goals. And why would you want to take on a client that's going to be half as big in eight years or less? It's just not a good business choice.
1: But even IEA, which you liberally cite on your website, indicates that these industries are still going to be needed. It's not like a, you turn a switch off and on. There are elements that will take a long time. I used to work in the food industry at one point, and you know there are ways in which plastics can be made from corn. Mm-hmm. and made from other fibers the problem is is we can't grow enough corn in order to supplant what is in the other space and so i'm just wondering that are are, are we playing into the politics of the day that is all about you know us versus them polarization and what we will end up with is we might feel good to sign on with a company that has made a pledge, but has it really made a difference in reducing carbon emissions? Has it really made a difference in building a bridge to a cleaner energy future?
2: Yeah. So there's two things just about like the nature of the future of the fossil fuel industry. one One about that and then one about sort of like how I think this impacts overall carbon emissions. So, yes, like we will there will continue to be fossil fuel use for a while, probably you know into twenty fifty but the industry needs to shrink rapidly actually, to avoid many, many millions of unnecessary deaths and most of the work that agencies are doing the the primary sources of mm-hmm. uh, carbon pollution come from the energy industry and from transportation, mm-hmm. and those are actually places where luckily we have great alternatives and to me, what I'm thinking about to your point about the mix about we do have energy companies are investing in things like ccs or renewable that is on average across the industry one percent of their investments one percent in the oil industry and that's great <laughs> like it in out of context i would love to have that money <laughs> flowing into the business but the problem is the 99 percent that they are violating that principle that the iea says that we need to take which is no new fossil fuel investment so if you're doing 99 percent of the wrong thing and one percent of the good thing I think you're still on the wrong side of the question. I think you shouldn't work with that company. So that's really where I think this comes down to. It's not that, you know, the investments are bad out of context or out of context, is that they are positioned as being a much larger share of the business that they are than they are.
0: So Duncan, um, I, I wanted to come back to the Edelman case. Yeah. Which got a lot of attention when it happened, both when you made the request, I believe some scientists signed more broadly for all agencies but specifically you you reached out to Edelman and asked them to do some things related to their own clients i looked it up on your website drop all fossil fuel clients that plan to expand their production of oil gas or coal and work with all fossil fuel companies and trade groups that perpetuate climate deception cease all work that hinders climate legislation and focus on le- uplifting the true climate solution. So Edelman, from this, went and did a 60-day review and came back and said that they would be having conversations with some of their clients. As I said, they they felt like they hadn't erred or misled anyone. But uh, Richard Edelman, of course, a friend of Mike and I, had said also that he expected that some clients would leave their portfolio at some point because of this. So what was your reaction to Edelman's reaction to to your request?
2: Yeah, I, I think the the origin story of this is really interesting and I think sort of highlights my feelings about it, which was that yeah. what was happening here was that Edelman was working on a campaign that engaged influencers for a, a client, a tea brand, Tazo, mm-hmm. And it was actually a great campaign in many ways. I I quite liked it. It's, you know, they spent, they invested a lot of money in environmental justice causes, and they were planting trees mm-hmm. in communities that had been affected by refinery pollution, which mm-hmm. is actually great. I would love to see more brands make that part of their marketing okay. approach. And they engaged influencers to help promote that. And, you know, those influencers, are actually happened to be just around the same time that we released the F-list last year. And there was some news coverage of that about Edelman's role working for Exxon and those influencers saw that and sort of said, wait a minute, <laughs> I actually don't think it's appropriate for us to be engaging with a company that's playing both sides of this issue. As part of the work that Edelman was doing for Exxon and then their other client, American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, was fighting for there to be more pollution coming out of those same refineries where they were trying to clean up refinery pollution. And so those influencers, are kind of, that's kind of where it started. And I think this actually gets to something that I was listening to the the episode with uh, Eric Desenhall. And... You know, I don't think it would surprise anyone to find that I don't agree with Desin Hall on much of anything, <laughs> but I actually really liked his framing of this issue where he talked about like conflict versus communication problems. Mm-hmm. And what I think that Edelman has in this instance is a conflict. It has made commitments to certain clients and to its brand centered on trust right. And then those conflict those those commitments are in conflict with their work for polluters. And I think Edelman is still. Responding to this challenge like a communications problem, you know, I, I think that 60-day review was like very loose. We'll say they didn't have any independent standards for evaluation. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any outside experts that weren't on their payroll. Kind of, they could have had an opportunity to consult with a lot of scientists. And then it's not clear that any, you know, change cli- changes in clients have been made since then, and yeah. no real obvious change in behavior yet. And so, you know, Edelman has built a company on the foundation of trust and that's an amazing offering i think that's a terrific intervention and i think that foundation will erode if they continue to do the work they're doing for fossil fuel clients
1: but but aren't you aren't you also trafficking in trust by what you're attempting to do and yet you're treating all companies alike and Admittedly, you're pointing to scientific studies. One group of scientists that, and analysts that have been in this vineyard for a long time is the Carbon Disclosure Project. And the Carbon Disclosure Project reviews what companies are doing relative to climate change, what their impact is on forests, what their impacts are on waters. They do this internationally. And the interesting element is that there are brand names that aren't in the oil and gas industry that actually perform worse on scores than some of the better players in the oil and gas industry.
2: I, th- I think this is a, a totally valid question. And I, I, I don't know enough about the Carbon Disclosure Project to sort of say what they're ranking on and. But I just want to point out some of the things that I think the fossil fuel industry Mm -hmm. holds in common that sort of single them out in my mind. One is just that coming back to like that, the scientific consensus, which is fossil fuels Mm -hmm. are responsible for 90% of carbon pollution. That is the biggest rock. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the question that, you know, conversation I have with a lot of practitioners Mm -hmm. is like, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, we're engaged in the sustainability issue and we're trying to stop fast fashion and plastics and sustainability could mean a lot of things and to me i think we start with the fossil fuel pollution problem because if you can solve if you can address the pollution that comes from transportation from energy from you know production sources and there's going to be some nasty hard hard to fix stuff like concrete but if you can solve that everything else becomes a lot easier it's it's kind of the biggest rock to in you know kind of the keystone piece of the energy system yeah and then the other thing that I think really distinguishes you know this part of the energy system, and again, I, I don't know if Carbon Disclosure Project is addressing energy is they're lumping energy, but they're having sort of fossil and maybe more renewable producers, I, I don't know for sure, that there's a lot of political activity that's directed towards decision makers to weaken, water down, delay the climate action that we seriously need from our governments. So I think that lobbying and political dynamic is a really important distinguishing factor that goes beyond what happens with the, the sort of short-term impact of their of their work. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we do want to be as discerning as possible, but I think this is the right starting place for the conversation is the recognition that there's been many decades of denial. This is the biggest part of the problem. And unless we address this, everything else is a lot harder to solve.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you know, and being fair about it, I, I mean, it's, you guys cite, the World Energy Outlook special report, the oil and gas industry and energy transition. And there's many people who say, yeah, it's a transition, it's not a jump start. it's not a snap of the fingers. But in that report, the Clean Creative Cites, one of the elements of the report is headlined, without the oil and gas industry, the transformation of the energy sector will be more difficult and more expensive. And so how do you reply to that? You know, if if what we're trying to get to is get to a world where there's a cleaner energy future. And yeah. the the group that you're citing as as fundamental to your position is also saying this industry is still necessary.
2: Yeah, I, I think that it's a long report. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot yep. of details. Yep. And and the way I look at this is that we may need pipelines refineries oil wells that we have but we sure as heck don't need any new ones mm-hmm. and you know 99 of the capital expenditures that oil and gas companies are using right now are going towards new ones you know one example i have i was just thinking of the other day is bp is spending eight billion dollars drilling another well in the gulf of mexico because uh, it worked out great last time and that is actually More money than the entire Biden electric vehicle electrification plan that was in the Build Back Better. And so BP has capital expenditures. They could, at the state, like build the world's largest electric vehicle charging network anywhere, bigger than any that is even being proposed by the the Biden administration. And they chose in this year, actually, I think it was 2021, to spend that money on another oil well. That's not a responsible business practice. That is moving in the wrong direction. And so that's that's the kind of example of what I'm talking about is like we have the wells we need and like what a relief. We don't need to do this thing. That's a dangerous job. Mm -hmm. That's very dirty. That pollutes local water. We don't need to do that anymore.
0: This episode and other episodes of The Crux are made possible by Boston University's College of Communication, or COM, as it's known. COM is BU's home for the study of advertising, emerging media, film and television, journalism, media sciences, and public relations. At COM, we seek to build understanding among people through better communication. Find out more at www.bu.edu forward slash COM. So, Duncan, is the is the bottom line here in, in hearing you and Mike debate this, I, I don't think anyone disagrees with the fact that we're in a transition. You know, I, I started work in the energy space in 1989, and we were talking about an energy transition in 1989. And so your point is, is that the need is dire and that the investment need is similarly Dire, and some of the fossil fuel companies are making decisions in your from your point of view that don't reflect that need, and therefore shouldn't have representation of these agencies.
2: That's a, that's a, I think that's a fair representation, and, and I, I I would just sort of say it's I'm not alone on this. Like I really feel yeah, like it's not you know, just me. You know. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and s- since we've been in this transition for so long, and certainly we need the fossil fuel companies involved in the transition, to Mike's point. Why We have a project here on Boston University campus called the 51% Project, and its aim is to get uh, 51% of the population to agree that climate change is a dire threat to the planet, and therefore they should uh, support actions to fight climate change. You mentioned the IPCC report, which in a busy news time came on and off the front pages really quickly why is it that we're having such a difficult time given the science? Is it the lobbying, the, you know, the, the stories that are being told, what is it?
2: Yeah. I, I, I'm very curious to see that project and learn more about it because, you know, my, my read of the situation, you know, the polling data I see is that most people really like climate solutions. Mm -hmm. You ask them, would you rather have your home powered by solar energy and batteries and wind they're into it. And Mm -hmm. really what we are dealing with is obstruction that comes from questions about uncertain timelines, about cost, about job transitions. And that's the leading message of most fossil fuel related public relations that like, we're doing enough now. Mm -hmm. Um, We have solutions that'll be online in 2050. You know, we can't be too hasty because too many jobs will be lost. And that's really what is obstructing the action we need is that kind of message. And that's the thing that I think is really at issue when it comes to sort of moving forward when it comes to government action, mm-hmm. um, which, as we know, you know, you look at other issues across gun violence or things like that is not always a question of public opinion. Yeah.
0: So so I give you credit for, you know, you're obviously passionate about this. Yeah. and Obviously, it's an issue that we all have a stake in let me just flip it a little bit, Duncan. So instead of taking the negative approach to the work done by these agencies, is there another way to do it? In other words, encourage and demonstrate and show how they might be working on this issue, meaning these agencies. You know what I mean, Duncan? In other words, creating an F list and all of that. I understand why you're doing it. Is there another way?
2: I think it takes all kinds. There's all kinds of other practitioners that are really engaging the industry, I think, quite productively around mm-hmm. what those solutions are. But this is really the fly in the ointment. This is the thing that this is the bad apple that can spoil the batch. And you can have a lot of really good work undone by, you know, a couple bad projects. And, you know, the that is the challenge we face. is like getting the bad out of the way as much as getting the good the public supported needs mm-hmm. a lot. That, like I said, people intuitively like climate solutions. Mm-hmm. It's very natural to prefer it. Mm-hmm. And so, what is the challenge? The problem is getting them out of the stuff that's been the problem before. And that has a lot to do with cost and energy. But I think we're fortunately at a per- position now where the technology is available to us. Like it, it is cheaper to build new solar plants yeah. than it is to keep running a coal yeah. plant. Like what a revelation! How cool is that? <laughs> we don't need to worry about that cost problem
1: as much anymore. I think the challenge is that these are are not easy problems to solve. And there are technologies, but they're not necessarily developed to the degree or with the networking necessary to reach a large number of people. You know, if we think about electric cars and everybody's gaga over electric cars, I I own two hybrids. And, you know, but the largest number of electric cars today are sitting where? They're sitting in China. And where does the electricity come from in China? It comes from coal. And it's like if if we were mapping a way out to get to a lower carbon solution faster, one might think, oh, what we probably should do is how do we trade out the, the coal-powered plants in China, in Germany, in various places, and quickly move to natural gas as an interim solution? Because guess what? There's there's less affluent in the air as a consequence of doing that. It, what's interesting, and I think the great challenge in all of this, is how do we solve what is a very complex problem it's not just a supply issue it's also a demand issue and then given the demand issue how do we create a way to replace what is replaceable sooner rather than later
2: yeah the in in some level the actual answer is We need government to consult with scientists and lead. And that's what I think Mm -hmm. is so um, important about the work that Clean Creatives is doing is it brings it back to the question of like, where is most of this PR and advertising money being spent? It's being spent on influencing decision makers so that it's harder to take that action to coordinate the transition. And, you know, like I live in Texas, uh, in West Texas, uh, there's an enormous (laughs) methane cloud um, that is caused from, you know, gas drilling operations out there. And that gas is 26 times more potent than CO2 is warming. Uh, Unfortunately, it goes away quicker, but, you know, there's a lot of false solutions that have been promoted by the industry that have proven um, sort of over time, you know, in 2010, when I first started working on climate change, we were actually, there were a lot of people quite confident that gas was a good climate solution. but, But as we've seen that industry ramp up, with the idea of being a bridge, mm-hmm. we've actually found that there's enough short-term mm-hmm. pollution to cancel out the long-term uh, the long-term benefits. So that if the quicker we sort of reduce the amount of pollution that we're producing today, and then keep at that lower baseline for the next twenty to thirty years, the more room we have to figure out those hard-to-solve problems down the road. If that makes sense.
0: Well, thank you. We've put you through the ringer here today, <laughs> Duncan, and you've been terrific in that. It's a hard issue. As Mike said, it's
1: it is a hard ways. issue.
0: You know, and, and, you know, I worked at GE, and we, Duncan, we had a nuclear business. And, you know, I find public sentiment on these things to be kind of fickle sometimes. Not that I, I don't believe uh, uh, what you say about renewables and the transition, but we used to poll on nuclear. <laughs> and people say, yeah, it's emission-free and from a climate standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. 90% of the people you poll said, well, we love it. And then you say, well, there's this little problem of waste and we don't know where to put it. And it's a political issue more than a technical issue. Boom, you know, you know approval goes, goes down significantly. Duncan, what's next for clean creatives? What, what are you guys thinking about next?
2: Well, we, we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about sort of the labor market, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And kind of where okay. people are at. And, and I think that's going to be, The next place where this is really going to play out and where I think we're going to try and, you know, connect with more people. So, you know, everybody knows that the creative industry is in a tight market for talent. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually came across this article in E&E that came out recently about oil and gas degrees coming out of universities that declined by 40% in two years. The, after the climate strikes, you know, after the okay. youth climate strikes in 2019, the number of, you know, degrees being issued in that industry has decreased by 40%. And okay. I think the question for agencies that have this right. fossil fuel connection is like, are we next? Are we going to get forty percent less applicants or something like that right. or more? And and it's just like, you know, the young people who were really particularly galvanized by this issue that took action with the climate strikes um, are now coming into the workforce. And I, I saw a really quite sad statistic that 44% of American teenagers report being persistently hopeless. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that just really shows, I, and that comes from a lot of questions. Like I'm not yeah, saying it's right, entirely climate yeah. change, but it certainly has an impact to think ahead to the future and like see the science and understand this issue. You know, I, I think that that's going to have a real impact on recruitment. And I think it's going to have an impact on the future of the industry. That like, this is a question that people are going to ask because it is extremely deeply held, that it is quite in, in- central to their identities.
0: You're right. The you know, being a professor at a communication school, I know, boy, the talent war right now is just really intense, and that's a good thing for our students. And they may have a different point of view than an old guy like me <laughs> on energy and, and that kind of thing. Well, listen, Duncan, it's been fantastic talking to you, and appreciate you being uh, on the Crux. Yeah, my yeah, pleasure. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Crux. Our producer is Boston University student, Anna Huynh. This episode and other episodes are made possible by the Boston University College of Communication, or COM, as it is known. Located in the heart of downtown Boston, COM is BU's home to the studies of advertising, emerging media, film and TV, journalism, Media science, and public relations. At COM, we seek to build understanding among people through better communication. Find out more at www.bu.edu forward slash COM.